Hello and welcome to Beneath the Staircase. We are your beguiling hosts, Kelly. Hey, and I'm Kelly too. Two crazy ladies who love nothing more than to talk ghosts and everything paranormal. Join us, won't you? And now for the paranormal news. The old 1736 farmhouse in Harrisville, Rhode Island, which inspired the movie The Conjuring, has new owners. Corey and Jennifer Heisman have been living there for almost two months now and can confirm that the rumors are true. It is haunted. This house was first investigated by Ed and Lorraine Warren, who will be visiting later today in the 1970s. The new owners are paranormal investigators themselves and were thrilled to get their hands on this famous house. The couple planned to open the house up to the public and spend their days working on the house, restoring it, and doing repairs. Once it becomes dark, they start doing investigations of their own. Doors open on their own, footsteps are heard, voices, and EVP, and spirit boxes now. Have you heard of spirit boxes before? Yes, so cool. So for those of you who don't know what spirit box is, it is a modified radio or audio equipment that allows spirits or energy to communicate with people in the room who've set them up. And so um, they've also witnessed flashing lights in rooms where there are no lights at all. What? Yep. And so they've also set up many cameras inside the house as well as outside of the house hoping to capture anything strange. And apparently the cameras have uh, captured some things. Um, And it was announced just recently, actually, um, that Travel Channel plans to air a two-hour special this Halloween. Oh, my God. So, (laughs) yeah, it should be really, really interesting. And so, of course, they'll they'll probably have it set up by then, so this will spark interest and have people go to their new you can do tours and things like that so that's their ultimate plan but i don't would you buy a house so famous as this one no i would not buy it but i would definitely go on a tour of it you'd go there i'd go for a tour you wouldn't go for a tour i maybe not at night oh yeah (laughs) today i am talking about annalise Mikkel, have you heard of her? I definitely have. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm nervous. I'm very nervous too. Okay. Okay. Annalise Mikkel was born on September 21st, 1952 and grew up in West Germany in the 1960s. Her family was devoutly Catholic and attended mass twice a week. When she was 16, she blacked out at school and began walking around dazed. She did not remember this event, but her friends and family said it was like she was in a trance-like state. She appeared fine for some time after that, but about a year later, Annalise experienced a similar occurrence where she awoke in a trance and wet her bed. Her body also went through a series of convulsions, causing her body to shake uncontrollably. She visited a neurologist who had diagnosed her with temporal lobe epilepsy, which is a disorder that causes seizures, loss of memory, and experiencing visual and auditory hallucinations. She began taking medication for epilepsy shortly after her diagnosis and enrolled in the University of, now I'm going to butcher this, Wurzburg in 1973. However, as the year progressed, her condition began to deteriorate. And though she was still taking her medication, Annalise began to believe that she was possessed by a demon. So she began to look for help outside of medicine. 
She would see the face of the devil whenever she went, wherever she went, and said she heard demons whispering to her, telling her she was damned and would rot in hell while she was praying. Mm-hmm. At this point, she began to believe that she was possessed. She sought out priests to help her with the demonic possession, but all the clergy she approached rejected her request, saying that she should seek medical help and that they needed the permission of a bishop anyway. During this time, this is pretty gnarly, she ripped the clothes off her body, compulsively performed up to 400 squats a day, crawled under a table, and barked like a dog for two days straight. She also ate spiders and coal, bit the head off of a dead bird, and licked her own urine from the floor. I know. I know. She didn't even have a straw. Okay. (laughs) Finally, (laughs) she and her mother found a priest, Ernest Alt, who believed in her possession. Alt petitioned the local bishop, Bishop Joseph Stangle, who eventually approved the request and granted a local priest, Arnold Arnold Renz, permission to perform an exorcism, but ordered that it be carried out in total secrecy. Over the next 10 months, following the bishop's approval of Annalise's exorcism, Alt and Renz conducted 67 exorcisms, lasting up to four hours at a time on her. Through these sessions, Annalise revealed that she believed she was possessed by... Now, some some people say six, and some sources say five, so I went with five. Mm-hmm. Um, but they said that they believe she was possessed by five demons, including Lucifer, Cain, Judas, Adolf Hitler, and Nero. Father Renz allowed a few of the sessions to be recorded, and the audio of it is truly disturbing. In it, Annalise's voice is unrecognizable. Now we are going to have this on our website. So if you want to dare to listen, you are more than welcome to, but I'm not going to play it on the podcast just because it is so disturbing. So, um, again, just head back to our website. If you want to listen to that throughout these sessions, Annalise would frequently talk about dying to atone for the wayward youth of the day and the apostate priests of the modern church. She broke the bones and ripped the tendons in her knees from continually kneeling in prayer. Over the 10 months of her possession, Annalise was frequently restrained so the priest could conduct exorcism rites. She also refused to eat and said she was not permitted to do so by the demons. Yet despite her being under 80 pounds and severely malnourished, she still exhibited an incredible amount of strength. She eventually died of malnutrition and dehydration on July 1st, 1976. Her parents and the two priests were later charged with manslaughter. There was like um, a huge case revolved around this because they, you know, um, possession isn't really something that a lot of people believe in. And um, take what you will from it. Some people may think that she it was just because she was so mentally ill that she you know brought all this on. And um, so when they took them to court, a lot of people saw that uh, like, well, why didn't you just make her eat? You know why? I don't understand why she was under eighty pounds and you didn't force her to eat. So they considered that manslaughter. I had Um, no idea that they went that way. That they actually charged. The priest and her parents? That's the last thing I read said that they were charged oh, for manslaughter. Yes. Wow. Um, I think eventually it was overturned, but mm-hmm. um, I don't know. It's just such a gnarly 
very disturbing. It's very disturbing. And if you are not a believer in not even religion, but like spiritual things like this, it's just like, I mean, of course there, nobody's going to believe that. Of course she's mentally ill. Right. But, um, what do you think? Do you think that, do you think it's possible for people to be possessed? Well, it's, I know you and I have a similar upbringing and simple, uh, similar education, right? We both went to Catholic school growing up, right? Yes. Um, and knowing not what we know, not that they teach these things, but I don't know. It's, you want to say you don't believe it, but researching this, this particular topic that we have today was disturbing, I think for the both of us. Oh, very. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, it was. And, um, so the, this story actually was made more famous, I should say, by Mm -hmm. the movie, the exorcism of Emily Rose, which came out in 2005, um, Mm -hmm. and is loosely based on her story. And if you haven't seen it, I would recommend watching it. If you're into this sort of thing, I mean, exorcist, exorcist movies are not (laughs) possession (laughs) movies are not for everybody. Um, I, will tell you, I mean, to this day, the scariest movie I've ever seen was The Exorcist. And I think it's because I believe in that more than I believe in, you know, these like killer clowns. So and aliens and aliens. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, aliens are out there, whatever. That's (laughs) that's a whole nother topic. Okay. We'll touch that. (laughs) (laughs) But for that one, it just kind of really hit home for me just because like you said, from our our Catholic upbringing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. 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 Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What are you talking about today, Kel? Okay. So today I'm going to be talking about a well-known story, um, and it is called The Devil Made Me Do It Case. Ooh. Have you heard of it? No, I don't think so. No? All right. So let us start it out in the town of Brookfield, which is about 43 miles northeast of New York City in uh, Connecticut. And in the summer of 1980, David Glatzel, who was aged 11, told his parents that he was pushed over by a man with black eyes, a thin face, and animal features, and jagged teeth, Ooh. horns, and hooves. Hooves, hooves, hooves. Hooves. <laughs> <laughs> and the man told him to beware. So the family was pretty spooked out by David's story, and Debbie Glatzel, who was David's older sister, said they believed him so much because David wasn't into spook spooky things or scary books soon after disembodied voices slamming doors and footsteps began to plague the family home when the beast continued to visit david debbie asked her fiance arnie cheyenne johnson who will hear more about a bit later to move into the family home debbie and david's parents requested a local priest bless their house in an attempt to rid david from these terrifying nightly visits david attacked his mother many times spitting kicking and squeezing her hard on the breasts, and even at one time he attacked his grandmother with a knife. And when the Catholic Church was unable to fight this demon alone, the family's pastor recommended they call upon demonologists Ed and Lorraine Warren. Mm. And have you heard of them, Kelly? I've heard of them. Mm-hmm. So um, we mentioned them earlier this episode um, that they were there um, at the house in Rhode Island, and people know them also for the Amityville yep. horror. Yep. Yep. So here they are again, 1980. Um, Lorraine said that while Ed interviewed David, she saw a black form or mist next to him. And this told Lorraine that whatever they were dealing with 
was a negative energy. It wasn't just a ghost waiting to pass on, you know, to the next stage of their life, but it was something negative. Mm. And then suddenly David said that there was something choking him and red marks appeared on his body, but there was no one there or at least no one they could see. So some of the things witnessed by the family and the Warrens um, included David growling, hissing, showing strength far beyond that of a young boy. He was speaking in strange voices, which was not, which were not his own. And David started to recite passages from the Bible and from Paradise Lost. Hmm. The family took turns watching over David in his sleep as he would nightly have fits of rapid sit-ups lasting upwards of 30 minutes. Can you imagine what his abs look like that? <laughs> <laughs> but that's weird because Annalise like, did 400 squats. Yeah. What is it about that? That's so odd. And that's that's crazy that they're, that's like... I like that it's linked that way, you know? Yeah. What do you think it is that they're preparing for something? I don't know. That's some kind of aggressive, oh, I don't know. Yeah. It would have been terrifying to watch that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, there were warning signs that the beast was making himself known. Um, David would lower his head to his chest and slowly lift it. When he did, his face had changed into a snarl and you could no longer see his pupils, leaving the on- only the whites of his eyes. <gasps> Now, here I want to include a clip of um, an interview with Ed and Lorraine Warren and their experience meeting David. As Lorraine said, all of a sudden, you look at him, he was normal. The next second, it wasn't David anymore. And uh, this would go on until the sun came up. Uh, the boy would roll around. Uh, he would go into fits. Uh, I seen one time when he actually levitated, had extreme strength. Uh, terrible obscenities would come from him. Ed and Lorraine Warren were regular visitors in the Glatzel home at this point, and through their interactions with David, they knew their next step was to perform an exorcism. In order for them to carry out an exorcism, under church law, they needed permission from the local diocese. Now, the the Warrens claim that the exorcisms were conducted on little David, but the church has not confirmed to this date that they did in fact take place or that the Warrens were given permission. According to the Warrens, during three exorcisms, they managed to get the names of 43 demons dwelling within David. 43! Yeah. Yeah. And some of them were the ones you mentioned earlier. Um, And during these visits, David began to mention murders and specifically stabbings. I want you to remember that for a bit later. Okay. In October... And this is, again, October 1980. They contacted the local police to warn them about the violent acts uh, that mentioned that were mentioned by David or the demons possessing him. Uh, the Warrens knew that these needed to be taken seriously. Now, you may be asking, um, where does Arnie Johnson play into all of this? Um, while he was living with the Glatzels, he witnessed David. He was a witness to all these episodes with David and all the coming and goings of the Warrens. And one night... When David was under the power of one of his demons, Johnson challenged the demons possessing David to pick on someone of their own size. Why not enter my body? Don't pick on someone as weak and small as David. This challenge would be Johnson's biggest mistake. Oh. Yeah. Ooh, I'm getting all worked up. Okay. <laughs> so, fortunately for David, towards the end of the fall, he was given an okay by his family and physician, and the nightly visits from the beast seemed to slow down. 
And as you can imagine, living with your parents was not the most romantic atmosphere for the young couple, Debbie, and I'm just going to call him Johnson because he's a long, <laughs> he's a long <laughs> name. Um, and it was time to move on. So Debbie took a job offered to her by an Alan Bono, which was a man new to Brookfield. Alan was a 40-year-old world traveler who uh, had just bought a building that the couple moved into and the dog kennel business, which Debbie now worked for. And everything should be looking up. A fresh new start, the beginning of their lives together, but unfortunately, this would not be the case. Johnson was a good, well-liked member of the Brookfield community. He had no police record, left high school so he could support his family, went to church, played Little League, the whole thing. But something was off since they moved out. Something had changed. Mm -mm. Debbie claimed that he would go into a trance. He would growl and say he saw the beast. Later, he would have no memory of it just like David. Oh my gosh. So all of this would come to a head on February 16th, 1981. Um, Tubby and Johnson were settled into their new routine. And that day, Johnson, instead of going to work, called in with complaints to, of a sore throat. And he decided to hang out with Debbie, his young sisters. Uh, they were 15 and 13. And his little cousin, aged nine, at the kennel where Debbie worked, and the family, they often went in and, you know, pitched out or pitched out. <laughs> they, pitched <in. laughs> they pitched in. And um, that that day, Alan Bono, who, again, was Debbie's boss and landlord, invited the party out to lunch. So he took the group to eat at a local pub where Al, uh, Alan drank quite a bit, told corny jokes, and very drunk Alan, which apparently was not unusual, led the party back to the kennel. And the group hung out, listened to the loud music. The day waned on, and Debbie took the girls out for some food. But after she realized they'd been gone a while, she thought, you know, maybe we should head back. And she was feeling something in the air. Something wasn't right. Mm. And they got back, and Alan's still drunk, still being obnoxious. And Debbie thought, you know what? Party's over. So Johnson headed down the stairs with the girls in tow. But Alan wasn't quite ready for people to leave. And he grabbed the arm of Johnson's little cousin, nine-year-old Mary, and wouldn't let her go. Finally, Debbie was able to loosen Alan's grip from the little girl, but not before Johnson caught on to the whole scene. Suddenly, Johnson, growling like an animal, leapt on Alan. The two girls tried to restrain him, but he was solid and unmovable like stone. Over in an instant, Johnson walked off into the woods and Alan fell to the ground with multiple stab wounds, the most serious starting from his stomach all the way up to the base of his heart. Wounds far too deep to be the work of human hands. <gasps> Alan Bono would die of his injuries hours later. So Johnson was later found by police crawling up an embankment, trying to make his way back to the Kletzel house, and he claimed not to remember anything. So, of course, now he's in police custody and um, has been charged. And Johnson's attorney, by the name of Martin Manella, after doing some research, decided to enter a plea of not guilty by virtue of demonic possession. <gasps> Whoa. Which is like the, yeah, which is the first time, I think, and I shouldn't be saying this because I don't have it written down, but I think it's the first time in U.S. Uh, history that this is, you know, a plea, entered, yeah. a formal plea. And he did this citing two British court cases that had permitted this defense based on possession. So he did his research. 
And the judge, unfortunately, refused this plea on the ground that, you know, there's no way you can prove this. There's no scientific way that somebody can be possessed or prove that they're possessed. So Manella moved on to claim that Johnson acted out of self-defense and the judge and uh, sorry, the jury found him guilty of first degree manslaughter in November of 1981. And he was sentenced up to 20 years. Now, Johnson was released after serving five years for good behavior and receiving a good bill of mental health. So how? Yeah. So it's interesting, right? So I have some questions for you. Do you think the beast took over Johnson's body? Did he take on his challenge? I would say because he was exhibiting the same kind of signs prior to that. Mm-hmm. That there was definitely some kind of possession going on. Um, now, was Johnson the one that was really drunk, or was it Sono? It was Alan Bono, so oh, Bono. the, the land the landlord. Yeah, but there were reports that um, actually one of Johnson's sister, I think her name was Wanda, she did say that um, Johnson and Debbie did have a little bit of wine that afternoon, but it was Alan Bono who was drinking it in you know excess. Okay, so they, she, yeah. Okay, but yeah, I, I definitely think that that's possible, especially since he lived in the house when all that stuff was going on with the kid, right? And mm-hmm. challenged Happy. the demon, and then after he moved out, he was not his right self. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's definitely possible. And he wasn't just making up the excuse that no. the devil made him do it, which is what, and that's the thing. There was a huge media circus around this because this is, and it's almost the the crime itself or the stabbing or murder itself kind of got lost in it all. Mm-hmm. It was more of, is this actually possible? Like, how can you claim that somebody's possessed by the devil? So that right. was what it was you know, heard about all over the world. Actually, I didn't know about it until we started doing research for this. Um, but I had never heard this story either. Maybe it's just a bit before our time. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this week's, Paranormal tweet thread is by Marcus, and his handle is at Stop Flexin. You heard that right. Stop Flexin. You didn't start? No. (laughs) So, this thread is about him playing with a Ouija board as a child, and it's very interesting. And it starts like this I know there are a lot of people who are skeptical. Skeptical, it's a hard one to say, mm-hmm. skeptical of demons and spirits, but I would strongly advise you stay far away from Ouija boards. I learned this the hard way as a child. So mm-hmm. um, it's quite a few um, tweets in this thread where he talks about finding the Ouija board, playing with his cousin, and what he sees and what he hears. And mm-hmm. so um, it's very interesting. I hope that you'll read it. We'll have the link up on our website. So I don't know, Cal, have you ever done the Ouija board? Have you ever played with it? Have I ever done Ouija? Have you ever done Ouija? Um, <laughs> do you even Ouija? <laughs> I do. I do. I've done it for a long time, but I do have one. I think I was, you know, you play when you're a teenage girl, preteen. Yeah. I think I was like 12. I was playing with it during a thunderstorm at obviously my parents' house. And I had this um, pumpkin that just, it was a Halloween pumpkin high up on a shelf. It wasn't Halloween. And it just started cackling. And it's supposed to, but nobody was touching it. Oh. Yeah. So, so that's like I one of those 
energy things, right? Yeah, like, I feel like it was. And, you know, some people might say, oh, well, it's because it was thunder and lightning outside. But I, that never happened before. Right. I, I still, yeah. That's what about creepy. you? Um, I remember playing with the Ouija board maybe once or twice, just like you with some girlfriends, like mm-hmm. at a slumber party. But I don't think I really have any any stories that ever came with it. I never saw anything move or, you know, it never answered any of my fucking questions. (laughs) But, um, I definitely believe in the power of them and I would not touch one now. Now, knowing that you can open yourself up to some crazy, crazy stuff. Yes, definitely. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we have. Please join us next week when we discuss more spooky tales of the paranormal. We'll see you beneath the staircase.